0: Hello and welcome to The Current Thing with me, and Dixon, where we talk about the culture war, politics and anything else that comes up. I think it's going to be quite political today because we have someone from Reform UK, the up-and-coming party in Britain, and I'm talking about the wonderful Belinda Delucy. Thanks for doing the show, Belinda.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Nick. It's been lovely to to meet you briefly in the Green Room uh, on occasion, so it's a real pleasure and honour to to be with you on this platform.
0: Oh, yeah, the Green Room at GB News. Maybe we'll talk about GB later because you're you're, you're on there quite a lot like me. Yes. But first, I was going to ask a very softball question. How did you get into all this mad political scene? (laughs)
1: Totally... By chance, I have never wanted to get into—I've uh, never wanted to be in politics or be a politician at all. Um, it wasn't where I thought my life was going. Uh, but uh, two thousand sixteen was a massive crunch time for me um, when the parliament and our five major major parties went into total spasm about delivering on a vote, and I was sitting at home thinking, "Gosh, I, I had been naive." To think that you know all my trust should be in these these people in the seat of power, and it had been completely and utterly crushed, and I found it quite scary. So I started to protest outside Parliament, and uh, on my own, <laughs> just as you do, wow. when I dropped the kids off at school, um, just about delivering the Brexit vote, and I was studying a master's in EU law at the time. So I kind of felt like I I had. A good sort of authority, at least, to speak on the issue, and um, I was picked up uh, uh, by Richard Tice and Nigel Farage on the march to leave, which was—I don't know if any of your listeners remember—the big two-week walk from Sunderland to London in 2019, sort of march time, where we went into all the northern towns, um, gathering up people to take. To Westminster to show our displeasure uh, at what what, the the knavery and treachery on a Shakespearean level that was going on in our beloved parliament and that was enough to push me into politics and to be an example at least to my children of what you have to do when when there is an injustice you just have to stand up and put your neck on the line and fight for what you believe in.
0: Yeah, so you were radicalised by Brexit and the betrayal of, of the country, really, by the elite or whatever you want to call it. I, I remember that, that walk being pretty bad weather. Is that the one that was like really awful yes. weather?
1: Yes, it was the walk that was <laughs> pouring with rain. We were smoke bombed at the beginning by protesters. We were followed by arch-Romaniacs in, in hooded jackets spying on us and uh, led by donkeys, I think, also followed us with a van depicting us as, you know, the usual sort of racists and and that sort of thing. It was quite harrowing, but I did feel like actually the 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 country was more with us and against us. And it was more, you know, I trust the British people far more than I do our politicians once they've entered Westminster. Um, And throughout history, whenever the people have pushed for more power and more of a say in the laws we live under, Po- the p- those in power have always pushed back and it was it was taking the fight to Westminster and yes i suppose i was slightly radicalized by that
0: <laughs> whenever you're on the other side to led by donkeys you're on the correct yes. side because if anyone doesn't know, they're like a cringe kind of middle class, like you just pitch them drinking like craft ales yes. and coming up with their brilliant take on why the EU is amazing. They're the most cringe centrist dad satire group imaginable. Is that <laughs> Yes, fair? I would
1: say they were very sort of the people's vote uh, lot. They probably had a, a lovely uh, champers picnic on their way following us dirty, messy plebs the masses that they loathe so much um but very much i would say yes um uh, middle class privilege the same sort of stop oil activists that throw soups at paintings you know because they have nothing better right. to do
0: they're kind of like if james o'brien was cloned <laughs> yes. lost his radio job and thought i'll do an internet satire thing yes. um yeah all right well, why, so then why should people vote reform? Because I guess I'm a potential voter, although in my area, Labour are going to crush it. And we can talk later about the flaws of our political system. But why should I vote reform? And, and what, what, is, what is reform? Because it came obviously from the Brexit party. Yes. And then how would you sort of summarise it and why we should vote for
1: them? Well, reform isn't like any other party. Um, it's, not, it's not right. It's not left. It doesn't want to mimic the Conservative Party or the Labour Party. It's just offering a different choice at the ballot box, because at the moment we're really just faced with two parties. One is bad, the other is worse. And that's really, that's all that's on on offer. And to be honest, if you have socially conservative views, if you want to decrease uh, the levels of immigration, if you want to be much tougher on illegal immigration, um, if you want to be tougher on depoliticising our public sector, um, then reform really is the only space, the only uh, only political party that offers that. The Conservatives talk a good talk, of course. They, they, they talk tough on uh, uh, the, the boats, but very little action is done. We're the action party. Um, And what I love about Reform UK is what it's very much the same, the same sort of principles as the Brexit Party. It's always country before party. And what we've seen certainly in the last 12 years with the Conservative Party is they've put the party first and foremost as their priority. Uh, above the interests of the country, it's why the major- uh, many of them voted for the for May's terrible deal that no one in their right mind could sign. It was it's like a surrender treaty in wartime, um, and yet the likes of Boris signed up to it in the end because the Conservative Party was far more important than you know the unity and being able to win an election was far more important than than the best interests of the country. So reform is for the people, it's for the country. It's why we stood down the 300 candidates in the 2019 election when we were the Brexit party, because it wasn't about us. So Reform UK is not about being in love with a political party. It's about being in love with your country and and matching words with action, and having the courage to be disliked by the metropolitan chattering classes who seem to have complete control over everything we do, whether it's in the civil service or our schools or uh, any other area of our public sector. So it's very raw, it's very real. We'll rock the boats, I'm sure, with with what we say, but I think we reflect um, a voice that is often squashed by the political and media classes um, and we're not scared of, of doing so. And I'm very excited about it.
0: So, yeah. And just for the listener, you were talking about Theresa May's kind of soft Brexit deal that was thought to be kind of selling out the Brexit, <laughs> yes. basically. And, and, and the other thing you talked about, standing down the candidates, which was something Farage sort of got in trouble for. People said, oh, that was a sort of sellout in some way. But that was, like you say, it was a pragmatic move. And you talk about being the action party. My question is, 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 it, is reform focused very much on competence rather than culture? Because... Uh, Richard Teicher, current leader, talks about high growth, low taxes, small state. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of Thatcherite vision. And some of the policies I've seen almost sound like Lib Dem policies mm-hmm. from the 90s. They're kind of like, let's increase the threshold of income tax and things like that. Totally reasonable, but not necessarily that radical. And there was something that Steve Edgington posted and I, I needed—I should have checked it. I can't remember the exact thing, but it was he said that immigration was mentioned on something like bullet point 18 on the 32nd page or, or vice versa, something like that. And my concern was, the reformers sort of selling themselves like we're not right wing guys don't worry we're just competent and because you can hit the tories on competence yeah. where they fail but you can also hit them on not being conservative at all but are you addressing both of those or is it more the focus on these sort of thatcherite high growth thing? well
1: i don't even know what right wing means anymore um you know the term right wing or far right these terms have been so abused by the left Uh, fascist, Nazi. I mean, I've been called a Nazi since I entered politics just for wanting the UK to make its own laws. So that's why I'm rather reluctant to call it, you know, a right wing or or, uh, a party that is conservative in nature. That's why I say socially conservative party. It is, I would say, in essence, very right of centre in terms of protecting our history, our culture, uh, safeguarding childhood, safeguarding our borders and making sure we have sustainable levels of immigration. And although you say it was far down on the list, you must remember we are a relatively new party and people associate Reform UK with the Brexit party. They know where we stand essentially on on topics like this. And we wanted to show other areas um, and new, new areas that we form policy on that we hadn't talked about yet. Uh, we, I know that Nigel has, has spent a long time covering the boat crisis. Um, in fact, if it hadn't been for Nigel Farage with his videos down in Dover, I'm not sure it would be so much in the news. Um, so I think we have... We have made that clear, uh, and but now is the time to, to increase uh, attention on our other policies. Um, I, I, I would never. <laughs> I mean, Reform UK uh, will always be focused on sustainable immigration with the consent of the people. Uh, immigration's been democ- um, yeah, democratized. No one, no matter how you vote now, it seems like immigration's constantly on the increase. Uh, Conservatives promise again and again and again to reduce it to sustainable levels um, and they fail and they do the opposite. Uh, So it's almost like we no longer have a say about the changing demographics of our country, about how many people in towns and cities use the infrastructure. That's what we want to bring back to Reform UK. People need to have a firm say in how our country is going to be in the future and how many people who we let in and out of our country and how our infrastructure can cope.
0: Hmm. And um, interesting. I mean, yeah, we all everyone's going to be called a Nazi on our <laughs> side. So that's uh, which I call the normal people side. I mean, like you say, right wing. Any, what does it mean anymore? It just means normal. <laughs> I think thinking of it as just normal people and, and mental weirdos. So I mean, and you've got blonde hair and blue eyes, so it's not helping you, Belinda. This whole Nazi I know, thing. I know, it really but, isn't. <laughs> I
1: get I, I get called far worse. That's probably one of the the more honestly the, the attacks you get, especially weirdly as a woman it's it's almost like because i'm female i'm supposed to be nice and kind and and compromising and sweet and i don't think i could be more fierce and you know determined to do what's right by this country so a lot of a lot of women dislike me because they feel like i've betrayed the sort of soft gentle appeasing compromising sex which i think's incredibly sexist anyway but most of the the criticisms and abuse I got during my political year was from women, not men. Mm. It's interesting. Well, that's interesting.
0: They, as if you shouldn't be doing this. That's yeah, inter- yeah. it's interesting. I think of you as one of the nicer people yeah. on our side because the sort of, when I say our side, the normal people side has some people who are, you, you go, I agree with that person, but they're a bit of a yeah. dick, but I never think that about you. So I think we have to sort of be charming yeah. when we're selling these things. But I mean, yeah, obviously you're tough, but I don't think of you as like not nice or something. But that's, uh, it's interesting that women have criticized you. Yeah. but um, When you talk about immigration, but you also talk about growth, some people would argue, well, we can't have growth without immigration because our birth rates are too low. Where's this growth going to come from? Have you ever had that question? Yeah,
1: I have. You know, it's interesting when Germany opened the floodgates um, during the sort of 2015-16 migrant crisis, of course, they look compassionate doing it. But one of the reasons is because they have one of the lowest birth rates in the world, only second to Japan. And I think behind the scenes, they were thinking, well, this is how we fix it, Uh, instead of addressing the the population in the country on how they can encourage families to have more children. um, It's difficult. We have 5 million uh, people of workforce age That are eligible to work on the dole at the moment, I think it's far more important. We invest in them, we believe in them, we don't throw them to the scrap heap, like you hear so many on the Lib Left say, oh you know, Brits won't do the work, they're lazy, so we need to open the doors to uh, another workforce abroad. I think that's deeply insulting and wrong, and creating an underclass. I think we should encourage and motivate and inspire Um, the five million Brits back into work, help them apprenticeships, um, you know, give them uh, reasons to get, have the dignity of work again, because we're having generation after generation out of work, almost becoming a culture Uh, like thing. And I don't understand why parties aren't focusing on the people already here and training them and investing in them, because every human has something to give and offer. But we sort of assign them to the scrap heap and said, oh, well, let's just forget about them, pay them not to work and, and open the doors to other people. No, let's train our British domestic workforce up and back them first.
0: Yeah, we have that disastrous situation where more than half the country are taking more from the system than they're putting in financially, which is just shocking. And like you say, people get forgotten. I mean, I've been on benefits in my troubled youth and it's very hard to get out of. There's no incentive to get out of it. I mean, I think a party should just incentivise work in a radical way where they just make it easy to get back to work and not this thing of like, you'll be punished and lose your benefits. Because no human, it's very hard. Anyway, you can do it, but it takes a lot of character to say, I'm going to lose money and go back to work. So they're not (laughs) incentivised. I mean, it's
1: crazy that we're even having this conversation that, that there's so much ridiculousness and almost insane policies that have been allowed to go on behind the back door. And one of them is paying people more not to work than to work. This is so demoralising and it and also I think it puts us at risk because if we depend on a foreign workforce all the time, you know, we never know what's going to hit us next in in terms of supply chains. And and then where are we left? Look at our NHS. We've depended so much on a a foreign workforce to supply NHS staff that as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, you know, we lost a huge amount of people. We should be training our own nurses and doctors. That's what I believe anyway.
0: Yeah, I agree. But do you think, so this is a silly question in in a way for you because you obviously don't think the country is finished or you wouldn't be doing this. But one thing I I ask a lot of people is, is the country finished? Because I've noticed this widespread despair about the country amongst ordinary people as well. Not necessarily even political people, not necessarily conservative people. And loads of people think it. And I asked people on this podcast and Francis Foster felt it was. And I confess, I've written an article on my Substack called England is lost forever. So I can be a bit pessimistic. (laughs) Jeff Norcott felt it wasn't. And I realise that might just be because he owns a house. Because then we had Calamon last week um, from the Lotus Eaters podcast, and he talks about housing being a massive problem. Young people can't get a house, so he's looking at it, going, "This country is finished." He's looking, at it, and he's even been to Russia, and he's been to Afghanistan. He's been to all these countries, and he was going. In some ways, these countries are better than Britain because he's going, "I can't. I'm never going to get a house." And even me, I, I took on a second whole job. I mean, maybe maybe I need to speak to G V about you know paying me more, <laughs> but you know. I mean, I got the second highest views when I hosted Headliners the other night, second highest views on the channel. Just saying, guys. I um, don't know why I'm telling you. should be telling them. But um, it's like I had to do a second job as an editor of a website. I was doing working seven days a week just trying to get a mortgage. And even I can't do it. I've given up. But... Um, what do people do about when things like housing is so bad and is this country finished? Presumably you think it's not. Well
1: I'm an optimist. I I was born smiling apparently and yes that may mean I'm naive on occasion but the thing that's got this country through every turmoil from famines to civil war to voters rights, we have won. The people have always progressed and won and that is why my faith has always been with the people rather than necessarily with our politicians. And, and I, there's a lot to be optimistic about. We have changed the direction of this country. I know it wasn't the Brexit deal that that we were hoping for, but we are pulling back from globalisation just with that very move. And we are making politicians more accountable. In terms of housing, it's impossible to keep up with half a million people coming into our country every year and as forecasted, uh, you know, millions coming in over the next four years without the infrastructure, without the housing. It's a terrible, toxic combination. That's why we need to slow everything down a bit and start building more houses for the people living here first. That's who we should be accommodating. Uh, No, I'm an optimist because there are times in this country, think of 1973, you had Edward Heath and he has this famous quote saying that Britain is the Titanic sinking. And he said, oh, the only lifeboat is to join the EEC. So he made up, you know, the fact that Europe was going to save us. It didn't. But the fact is, in the 70s, the morale was far lower than it is now. Uh, It all changed around with the the Thatcher years. And I think we are at a cross point now where people need to be very careful who they vote for. If they want more of the same, declinism, defeatism, politicians who want to uh, peacock on the international stage. More than listen to the people at home and try and win their applause. We need to get rid of that lot. <laughs> we need to have politicians in power that look to the British people first and stop worrying about impressing Biden and the EU and selling the country out. But this will happen. We have changed the course of history time and time again. The little people, the men and women on the ground, and we'll do it again, Nick.
0: Okay. Well, I like the optimistic <laughs> vision. I'm very pessimistic, so it's good to have the the balance. And um. And one place that reform, I just read an article, reform are doing, well, I skimmed it, reform are doing well in rural areas, because I'm from the country, I'm from the lakes in Cumbria. So, uh, but it, the lakes tend to, and Cumbria and, and and these rural areas tend to be quite like nimby. They don't, it, it, no one wants planning, you know, to build anything around there. So how come reform are doing well in, in rural areas? What, What's why is that, what's that That's about?
1: That's interesting. My my mum's from Carlisle, actually. Yeah, she's, oh, she's cool. in all the last. Um, I think people are not switching from conservative to Labour I think people are switching off politics altogether. Um, And the people that the Tories are going to lose at the next election have nowhere to go. Uh, And we as Reform UK, we are offering um, so many uh, old conservative kind of ideas married with great sort of uh, liberal left-leaning sometimes, you know, in terms of, as you said, raising the threshold of income tax. Uh, We're like a... We're, we're old school and people don't want constant change and constant uh, progression. And I feel that in rural communities, they, they enjoy the countryside as it is. They don't want uh, a super high population in this country, um, you know, uh, where we have to buy, uh, build millions of homes every year across, across beautiful land. And we're the only party that's very, very tough on immigration levels coming down. And that appeals. And also, you know, I feel like with the Conservative Party, I don't feel like our our country, our heritage, our culture is safe. In our schools, there are all sorts of things being taught to our children. The decolonization uh, of our history, uh, critical race theory being taught, gender ideology being taught. There are a lot of people, certainly like me, who feel socially conservative, that hate the idea of our children being exposed to this in schools, but the Tories have allowed it to happen. Labour champions it to happen. And people are cottoning on to the idea that actually, this isn't inevitable. There is another choice. Let's, let's put our cross on the ballot box for the party we believe will protect childhood, protect our culture, our history, our language, our traditions um, in a way that the other parties don't. I can see that appealing to the rural community.
0: Sorry to interrupt this frankly excellent episode, but we have a special offer. If you're trying to lose weight because, I don't know, you're you're 40 and your only joy is eating chocolate mousses at night, then you need Harry Willis. Harry is guaranteeing that if you work with him, you'll lose five kilograms in your first five weeks. Or I'll coach you for free until you do. Harry is a fitness transformation and health coach. He's a writer for the international fitness brand, Techno Gym, And Harry will design a bespoke plan for your workouts and diet and will work with you one-on-one the whole way until you lose that weight. And he's offering a free 45-minute consultation for listeners of this podcast. Just get in touch and quote the current thing. And you can find Harry at Instagram at Harry underscore Willis or www.willis-coaching.com. Willis is W-I-L-L-I-S hyphen coaching.com. And I've seen the results he gets with people and they are very impressive. So go to at harry underscore Willis on Instagram or www.williscoaching.com and I'm sure he's going to get great results for you. Now back to the show. And what about the criticism that, that Dan Wooten? Uh, issue to Richard Tice on GB News, where he kept saying, this is a vote for Labour by the back door. You know, you're going to take away Tory votes and get... Yeah, Labour.
1: I totally disagree with that. We, the Conservative Party, have been using that as a threat now for years. Vote for us out of fear. Vote for us, not because you believe in us, but because you just don't want what's worse. Um, and back in 2009, they had the sort of scary uh, Corbyn... Um, face to to really frighten people into voting Conservative. They don't have that with Keir Starmer. And in fact, the Conservative Party mirrors the Labour Party so much. It's like having a pink and red party choice um, that reform won't be stealing votes off anyone. If the Conservatives want to give away votes, if they want to turn their backs on voters so that they've left the voters, the voters haven't left the Tory party, then we're offering them another home. If the Conservatives want to win the next election, Nick, they can. It's been up to them. They choose to to choose policy after policy that's weak and unpopular. And their rhetoric may be good, but they are very, they're disappointing. So we're just offering another home. So I do think Dan's wrong on that.
0: Yeah, I mean... The Tories completely imploded. When they got rid of Boris, who was obviously very popular with the people, and they got rid of him in this weird coup. Then they brought in Liz Truss, who was the member's choice. Then they got rid of her in another weird coup, and they brought in the person they obviously wanted, which was Rishi. And at that point, I just thought, yeah, the Tories are absolutely yeah. finished, and anyone could sort of beat them at that point. Not that you're anyone, but, but Reform was polling very well. And they were polling very well without people necessarily knowing that much about them and without Farage's leader. And it was extraordinary. And it had something like 10% in, in, a, in a poll and things like this. And I thought, this is an open goal. Yeah. But now, it maybe it's changed slightly in that. Let's not give him too much credit, but, but Richie Sunak, because he's probably desperate, because they're up against it and they're going to lose the next election, he's actually been doing some OK things. He's got this Windsor framework, not probably what you would want with Brexit, but it's sort of OK-ish, lots of people think. And then he's doing things on uh, small boats, at least trying to tackle it. He's trying to tackle the school's sex education problem, which we might talk yeah. about in a bit. He's trying to tackle various things that he said he would... He's talked about that. He knows what a woman is. He's the only politician, leading politician that knows what a woman is. Starmer doesn't. The Leader of New Zealand has no idea. So, you know, so is is that going to slightly harm reform, the fact that Sunak seems like he might be vaguely competent and vaguely conservative?
1: Well, I think you're right in as much as the infighting in the Conservative Party, you know, will bring about their demise far more than a party like reform. The thing we have to take into consideration is, yes, Rishi is scared about the next election. I'm not surprised. I think they're going to get a hammering in the May local elections. So the Conservative rhetoric is really pumping up at the moment. Um, And the talk about grooming gangs, the talk about um, what children are being taught in schools, completely inappropriate ideologies being taught to young children that are damaging them and indoctrinating them. Yes, he started to talk about these things. I would just take issue. I don't think he's come out and said women are adult human females. I think the most that Rishi said when asked what a woman is, is, oh, whatever Boris said. And he said that three times. Um, So I wouldn't say he is a mad, passionate man on on speaking biological truths. Um, He does still come across to me as a little bit of a wimp. But again, it's all talk, Nick. What, what we want to see is policy in action. Do the Tories have time to put their tough talk into action before the next election? I'm not sure. Um, I think the, the, the mere reason why he hasn't diverted from EU law yet, there's a bill to, to get rid of cumbersome EU law that costs a billion to small businesses, but it hasn't got through Parliament. It could have done. Rishi, Rishi doesn't. He's He's a slow man on this. So I think it's all talk and no trousers at the moment. But listen, great if, if he does it. I, but I'm, I'll still stick with reform. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I need to double check that because I thought he'd said the other day that he, he did know what a woman was. I know initially he said whatever the Prime Minister yeah. said back when he was uh, Chancellor, and that was pathetic. But I think recently I thought he'd said it, but I need to check that. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. <laughs> but because um, he does change his mind depending on, he's like, he goes anti woke and then he changes his <laughs> mind. Yeah, and it is weird. I mean, things like the Worker Protection Bill, which is awful, where you'll be able to sue That's your. Imp- employer if a customer says something and a member of staff is offended this is a mad lib dem bill that's kind of on the verge of getting through all kinds of things like this somehow get through with the tories and everyone knows they're not conservative at yeah. all so is it but is it a problem for you your party reform that people don't really know what it is like even me and it's my job to follow this stuff mm-hmm. but even me a, a few months ago i knew when it changed from brexit party to reform because that was a big story i was like okay they've gone a different direction that's quite a big story but then i kind of forgot and then Lawrence Fox came out with Reclaim, which is probably a nightmare for you because they get mixed up in people's heads. And people don't really know that much about them. Yeah. And yet, like I say, they were still polling quite well because, because the Tories are doing so badly. But the people, and, and my follow-up, follow-up question on that is... Can it work without Farage and will Farage ever come back to it? Because you're doing OK without Farage, but with Farage, it could go huge. Uh,
1: completely. And Farage has, has always been there as a great advisor, and he's always championing the party. But I think to be fair to Nigel, he has given decades of his life in service to this country um, and put up with so much abuse, so many threats against him. I feel like, you know, he, his slight break, if you like, from the political world is not only well-deserved for his peace of mind, but, but I think, you know, he's, he's really done so much already. It is, it is time to make reform the faces of everyone in this country and to make many leaders out of um, uh, the people who feel the same as us, um, but I will always happily take advice and counsel from Nigel. He was the best boss I have ever worked for in my life, if you can call, call him a boss when we were in the EU Parliament. I know he's the pantomime villain in papers and they need a sort of, you know, mad, bad Brexit crim. But he is an incredibly well-read, uh, especially on Britain's war history, uh, historian. He is the, one of the most kindest, compassionate uh, gentlemen I've I've ever met. And I would love any input he has into the party. But we've got incredible people in reform. We've got Anne Widdicombe, who is the battle, who was a battle axe in Brussels. You should have seen her walking into the parliament, Nick. She had all the sort of men like tremor when she walked past and, and did her speeches. She was absolutely phenomenal. Um, We just need more people in politics with the courage of their conviction and who don't mind being disliked. And I think Nigel's given a great example of how to stand up for your beliefs. Um, And so we'll follow that. But Richard Tice is fantastic as well. And it's because of Richard that Reform UK still exists. He's been keeping it, waiting in the wings and worked so hard to keep it alive. I don't blame people who don't know too much about reform as i said we're a small party we don't have the money the backing the networks that labor and the conservatives have but we have passion and conviction and let's see how far that takes us
0: okay well that's it. i was going to ask you what it's like working with nigel because i worked with him vaguely in, in the gb studio but he was just in there and he never spoke to me and then he's moved to the, the Pasha westminster studio but it's interesting you say he was kind and compassionate people that would be surprising <laughs> some people But yeah, because they obviously, like you say, he's the pantomime villain. And obviously, Tice is an impressive person, very impressive in business. He seems like he's probably a good leader. So yeah, I'm not dissing Richard Tice by any means. But yeah, it's, yeah, the question of whether people know who they are. And the other question is, what is the the goal? Because, so, the the problem we have in this country is first past the post. So in my area, Labour are going to win it by an absurd amount of votes, no matter what I do. So I tend to vote with my conscience. I voted for an obscure Christian party. Because they were the only one that was saying the things I care about. They had a few. They had some good policies. They were like, get Brexit done, uh, be tough on crime, make big tech, pay their taxes, and protect the lives of the unborn. Who could disagree with any of that? I threw that last one in at the end. <laughs> uh, but some people might disagree. Yeah. But I thought, well, I have to vote in my conscience, so I voted for them. But because we're not going to win anyway with any of these Mm. parties, reform are doing well. I've spoken to two people who work for Tory MPs as their job and are Mm. still going to vote reform. (laughs) So that tells you where the (laughs) Tories are. But my question is, what is the goal? Because is it just to hold the Tories to account, much like Farage's parties have done in history? Or is it to actually win seats? And can that be done in our current system?
1: Do you know, I think, you know, it wasn't that long ago, relatively speaking, that there was no such thing as the Labour Party. Um, you know, I believe it's maybe a hundred and ten years old or something like that. Um, and they come now they're you know polling the highest out of any party in the UK. Um, it may take time. And it will take time, but we've got people on board that are invested in it and want it to grow. Yes, the goal is to become a completely independent political party. We're not here to to be some kind of puppet or controller of any other party. We are fresh, we're independent, we want people to feel like we're a new home. Um, And it is the type of politician that we want to attract and have in our party the calibre of politicians in West, Westminster. is so low at the moment, and, it, and they're so much more worried about their job or position in the party than doing what's right. And that's what we want to change. And I think we will be different. But no, I don't think our job is just to hold the Tories uh, to account or their feet to the fire. Um, this is this is going to this is a serious political party. And yes, it may take time, but you have to start somewhere.
0: Yeah, and it was 1900 apparently that Labour. Was formed. I just checked it. So you're right. I mean, we've had lots of changes. We've had the Lib-, Lib Dems came about, and we've had the SDP, which has changed, and all kinds of things. So yeah, you're right. It's not set in stone. We feel like it's set in stone in this country. That it's Labour and Tory, but it's not. They, I mean, these parties can be destroyed if they're totally awful. Which the Tories, I feel like they were definitely bordering on that mm-hmm. recently. I'm not sure it's going to happen now, but it was definitely it was definitely on the on the verge. What was your view on your view or reforms you and or On lockdowns, it just came to me. I wanted to know your view on that, because I was very against them, obviously.
1: I was against them from the start. I got COVID right back in 2020, I think in February. As soon as it was starting out in the news, I had it. Before vaccines, my whole family had it. Oh, it was a bit rough. A rough cold is all I can describe it as. I wish we had just protected the elderly and the vulnerable. I really do. I think that was the way forward um, to completely crash the economy and to hurt everyday, normal, hardworking people um, for, for a, you know, a disease or an infection that, that wasn't, you know, 99% survival rate was wrong. It was panicky. It's so typical of this sort of fear controlled politics. Um, and, and I'm not a fan of it. I don't think you should control people for, through fear ever. Um, and I, I, so I've always been against lockdown two and three. I'm slightly more understanding of why lockdown one happened when we didn't know about it. We didn't know enough about it. But two and three were an absolute abomination and should never have happened. And it should never happen again.
0: I'm not even sympathetic to one because I was on um, Mark Don's radio show speaking out against lockdown. I was against it from the start. I never understood this thing. People say now I can understand the first one because we didn't know blah, blah. But to me, lockdown shouldn't be an option. It was not. An op- it's like a prison thing. It was never part of pandemic planning. It was thought to be discredited already. So why? Just because this thing, oh, we don't know how to deal with it. I know, let's lock down the population in the homes and destroy everything and destroy the economy.
1: Uh, no, I, all but, I would say about lockdown is that there is a big problem we have with the media controlling politics. So I think one of the reasons why lockdown even happened was nothing to do with the science, but because uh, our politicians have, are on a leash to the mainstream media. And as long as the mainstream media project fear out to the country then the polls push the politicians to go further and harder. And there's been no accountability from the mainstream media for for what they did to this country. And the politicians should make a clean break and never be influenced by by media stirring up fear. And yet they were. I think it really exposed how vulnerable our politicians are to fear being whipped up by our mainstream media. And um, there should be an investigation into it.
0: Yeah, it was a ridiculous loop. They were like, "Oh, people want the lockdown." It's like, yes, because you've scared them in the first <laughs> yeah. place, and then your your yougov questionable polls are backing up your own policy that you want to do anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it's founded by that Zahawi, who was well. I mean, he moved on from it, but it was all very yeah. yeah he founded yougov I guess he wasn't part of it anymore, but it was all very questionable. Yeah, that was lockdown. It. I'm still annoyed about all that. And um, what about your own personal views outside of re- the Reform Party? So mm-hmm. stuff like you mentioned to me that you were you sort of become a a sort of unlikely feminist, not unlikely in a sense, because I suppose, why not? But, but, but because it's kind of more seen as part of the left, I suppose, but mm. you've sort of become one of the TERFs.
1: I, I am, well, well, I'm definitely a TERF because if you believe, you know, girls should have single-sex changing rooms and naked spaces, then you are automatically trans-exclusionary. Um, I've never considered myself a feminist just because women have equal rights in law. That's what I believe feminism was all about. Um, and it was very important when we didn't have equal rights in law. But now we do. I, I don't bang, I don't feel like I need to bang the drum. But what I would say is that um, um, in this current climate, there is a very, very damaging uh, gender trans which um, completely erases women as an entire sex group, which means that, you know, our daughters, our sisters, our mothers, no longer have the protections that we worked really hard for over a century. I mean, it took about 50 years just to get the first women-only public loo you know, in this country. And in the space of about five years, it's all up for question now. So many schools don't even have girls' loos and changing rooms anymore. Um, and it does have a direct impact on how girls and women you know, feel they can participate in public life. And what for? Who are we doing this for? Men don't want it. Men don't want their daughters exposed to this or their mums in mixed-sex hospital wards. So who is doing it? A tiny minority have a huge amount of power and I'm just saying, not on my watch. (laughs) I won't have lies and it's an absolute lie saying you can change sex and I'm so disappointed in our politicians who eggshell around the subjects. They're so terrified of trans activists' rage that they will throw women and girls under the bus and be be assured men and boys will be next. You know, they'll they'll go through us all. and what's very sad is it's happening in schools, and children are being brought up to believe they're born in the wrong body. If you know you're a tomboy, or if you're you're a boy that likes to, you know, have long hair. It's crazy. It's dangerous. It's harmful. It leads to puberty blockers and irreversible sex uh, hormones, and it's really damaging our children. And you, just, I just—it's a hill I'm prepared to die on, Nick. Um, but I, would, I was a member of the Feminist Committee actually in the EU, but I was rather a black sheep because <laughs> I would make comments such as surely if you're a feminist we should address how women prevent other women from progressing in the workplace and how women could possibly back other women and girls more because often we're our own worst enemy. Um, and how demonising men on every level all the time is is so harmful to relationships and wrong. All this mansplaining, manspreading, you know, man interrupting, all these uh, arrows that feminists throw at men. It's not for me at all. Um, and I don't want my daughters taught that. I have a great respect for masculinity. I say the more masculinity, the better because it's traits that the world needs and women need. You know, we we get on with each other and and essentially women and men are great partners together in life. Um, And it's a shame for the sexes to be put at each other's throats so much with very sort of, I'd say, liberal feminism. It's also very conditional, Nick, because this kind of liberal feminism wasn't there for the grooming gang uh, victims. Didn't say a peep about those girls. They pick and choose which women and girls that they want to protect and defend. And that's just not for me.
0: Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we have a new sponsor who is highly relevant to this episode because we've been talking about conservatism and education. And this is the King Alfred School, the UK's first Classical Christian Primary School. They're a grassroots movement which exists to make classical education available to as many people as possible. And they say, Do you want the next generation of English men and women to be able to think like Plato, argue like St. Paul, create like Michelangelo, command like Queen Elizabeth I, and write like Milton? Then consider supporting us at the King Alfred School in Dudley. We stand for truth, not indoctrination. Goodness, not activism, and beauty, not mediocrity. We hold fast to the principles of classical education and are renewing this highly successful British method of schooling for the generations to come. Support us as we strive to bring up free thinkers who know and love their Western cultural heritage. That's their message and you can find out more at their website www.thekingalfredschool.co.uk or make a donation via their GoFundMe page. Just go to GoFundMe.com and search Classical British Education. So it's www.thekingalfordschool.co.uk, and please support them because it's a great cause. And now back to the show. Yes, uh, well I haven't man-interrupted you <laughs> once. I didn't know that was even <laughs> know, one of them. I, I knew there was mansplaining and man-spreading. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't know there was man interrupting but um, yeah I mean I've become a radical feminist just by being exactly the same and thinking yeah women should have their own changing rooms obviously women should have their own sports obviously and and like and you shouldn't assault someone who goes on a protest in New Zealand I mean and throw tomato soup on them I mean like (laughs) that's that's is that feminism now it's absolutely mad I'm an unlikely candidate being pro-life and being kind of concerned about men's you know issues in divorce laws and custody laws Mm. and concerned about boys in schools and so on uh, I get branded a misogynist but now suddenly I'm a feminist because I'm just not completely mental and (laughs) don't want children to be mutilated and think women should have their own spaces if you don't think that as a man there is something wrong with you if you don't have a natural protective urge for women as you say your your, your daughters and 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 mothers and things like that there's just something completely wrong with you so um we'll agree on that the only thing I might question is when you said it'll be men and boys next, to me, it already has been. So there's a constant attack on masculinity. Yes. And what to me is disturbing is that they've come to women now where everyone must realise that's horrible. Like not only half the population, but there's something disgusting about it. So here's my theory, and you can see if you disagree with me. This gets called misogyny a lot, the, the trans movement. And and people you know, people like Kelly J. Keane, who I, I love, but they they, they brand they bandage, they sort of bring, they, they they constantly talk about misogyny from the trans people. I don't think it actually is misogyny. I think it's kind of leftism or wokeism or something. But if it was misogyny, it just doesn't seem to... It doesn't make sense to me. I think it's just that the elites are just getting away with this radical, woke ideology that serves their interests so they can seem like they're doing something while actually not giving up any of their wealth. And that there's no group they won't throw under the bus. They've thrown men under the bus, they've thrown boys under the bus, they've thrown white people under the bus, they've thrown many different groups. And now it's just women next. So what was chilling to me about the New Zealand episode was how mainstream politicians in Australia and New Zealand were prepared to say disgusting things about women in Parliament and essentially kind of winkingly green light violence against them, I felt, but is it really misogyny or is it something else?
1: Um, that's a really good point because uh, I don't use the term misogyny lightly. I'm fully against it becoming some kind of hate crime or or that illegal because it's it's a vague term. You know, all these terms are, are so expanded now. They include wolf whistling, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard being made a crime. Um, and I'm completely against that. But I do think there is an element of of a... Disdain or or huge dislike for women and girls if you want them, a risk to be increased to them to uh, help, uh, you know, a man feel included. I think you have, to, you have to see women as some kind of like lower nothing that you can dispose of to campaign for men to access their changing rooms and um, their sports and to destroy women's sports. I don't think you can respect women and believe that there should be no women's sports and, and no safe places for women at the same time. Um, And Mm. I do, you know what, I think that the the trans activists and the politicians that have backed them and championed them, I think they'll be making big apologies in a few years. I think that the clock is ticking on this whole gender bomb. We've seen Nicola Sturgeon lose her crown. The Finnish uh, PM has just been ousted um, and she introduced Self-ID just in February and she's lost her crown. And I think it is imploding. And when it does, there will be a lot of people coming out that should apologise for throwing women under, and girls under the bus. And as you say, men and boys have been thrown under the bu- bus constantly, especially if you're white, straight and male. It's almost like you don't deserve a platform or an opinion on the same level as anyone else, which I think is abhorrent. And um, worried that that's been taught in schools with critical race theory as well. And bringing up uh, you know white boys to feel like they're to blame for all the world's ills and all the world's woes. What a horrible, thing to burden children with um, and they give grievances to other children that they've never even experienced you know because you are black you are oppressed and there's your oppressor over there at the other side of the classroom (laughs) you know this doesn't help with the mental health of of young people especially boys either.
0: Yeah and then they're surprised that they like Andrew Tate I know after being told that they're evil the first person (laughs) that isn't telling them they're inherently evil comes along. Yeah you're right about the trans issue there's also the world athletics trans ban on on biological males competing in sports that just happened as you say the sturgeon collapsed because of the isla bryson case where this man wanted to claim to be a woman who was a rapist and get into a woman's prison there was the assault on kelly j keene in new zealand and the disgusting rhetoric around it there was the trans shooter in nashville and the disgusting response to that from the left in america trans day of visibility the uh, white house press secretary saying trans people are under attack three days after a trans person murdered six people christians including three children absolutely deranged so their attempt to defend that has been so bizarre and insane that i think it is falling apart very quickly for them and maybe i think the out maybe i say i sometimes say like the outcome is misogynist if you're assaulting a woman or you're trying to ruin their sports that is a sort of misogynist outcome but i just think the motivation comes from wokeness where it goes through each oppression group and it just gets onto the next one and now you know it's gay people then it's women and so then it's trans people you know whatever it is the that oppression hierarchy they have and they've just they've arrived at women now yeah, who's, who's just, next do you think nick well, it's a good question. I think gay men, if being, have they already been done? I mean, they've kind of, they, you kind of like people like Douglas Murray and Andrew Doyle lose their gay card if they have the wrong the wrong view. So maybe they've already come to gay men or it could be them next. I suppose lesbians have been erased by the trans thing. Yeah. But you wonder after trans people, who is there left? <laughs> is it going to be like the non-binaries and now the trans people are just old hat? I mean, where can you go from there? I, know, well, I do wonder what's next. Well,
1: I believe that, I, I call it woke cannibalism, where actually if you are woke, you're just going to end up destroying everything Everyone who's not the most extreme version of ideology that you hold um, which is quite it's quite fun to watch um, them all disintegrate around each other um, but I do think we are coming to an end I do think thank goodness to Nicola Sturgeon the nation is waking up and saying we don't want this the majority of people don't believe in this fantasy ideology and it's harmful and too much time is being taken spent you know on on discussing something that's completely nuts and, and all we needed was a politician to stand up and say, if you have gender dysphoria di- diagnosed, you deserve sympathy, compassion, therapy. Everyone else, I'm sorry. You know, you, you are not a woman. You, are, you need to crack on with your own sex category. You just needed a politician to stand up. Th- then we wouldn't even be dis- discussing this. But they're so terrified of the rage of the woke um elitists, the woke stasi i call them and the woke stars are actually only a tiny minority of people i don't know where they get all their power
0: i know it's mad isn't it and um, <laughs> obviously not not popular with the people at all i think i was talking to toby young about it he was saying well it's it's to do with them um, it's much harder to actually deal with the, the problem of the one percent and it's much easier for the one percent of wealthy people to just sort of throw a few bones to the public <laughs> and this with this wokeness rather than actual radical change and it came about from their fear of protests post 2008 crash and I think that's there's something in that um but yeah maybe transracialism is the next yes, big thing yes. i mean a few people have dabbled with it <laughs> gary Lineker was black and you know and now he's not it's all a, it's a little bit complicated but um maybe yeah. that'll be the next thing i can't really see where else you can yeah. go and it'll be you know and that'll be the new one um, cuz you've mentioned it a couple of times just on that You've already said a bit about it, but because you're a mother, right, What this stuff in, in schools, a couple of things, critical race theory, which you've mentioned, and then this sex education stuff, it's, it's gone so mad. We've covered it on GB several times, national news stories about this, where the kids are being taught things about rough sex at like age 12, or they're age nine, and they're being taught about gender allyship or something. And you look at kind of the materials, or there was one that said, that asked the question, is attraction to children a sexuality? And it was kind of trying to sort of normalize Attraction to yeah. children, you just think this is incredibly sick. And there was, and the TES, formerly Times Educational Supplement, had, I believe, 900,000 resources as part of it. So it was all kind of evil garbage getting in there. And no one could, I couldn't understand why they had so many. And they obviously haven't can't been vetoing them properly. How has this happened? And what is the solution? Do you just have to homeschool?
1: Well, I think, I do think childhood is under attack from progressive liberalism. I think they want to blur the lines between adulthood and childhood. Um, in so many different ways. And one of the ways is uh, all of this gender stuff, the, the, the porn elements that are now coming into schools, it is often by third parties. So what happens is, Um, A a third party, a charity, an organisation will uh, come into school, the teachers won't know what they're really going to say and the parents will have no idea and they'll start talking about extreme porn, choking, uh, things that children should never have to even worry about or learn about and certainly shouldn't be normalised. In a, in a classroom, um, and parents never get to hear about it. And at the moment, under a Conservative government, these third parties have free reign to come into schools and teach really inappropriate, damaging stuff, whether it's on gender ideology, race, or on porn, and the parents won't know unless maybe they get an email afterwards or their child tells them. So what needs to happen, certainly what I'd like to do with Reform UK is make sure any of these third party charities or organisations that come into schools are registered, because at the moment they're not, and their public are completely aware of their ethos. The parents are told about them. Parents have to have some say in what their children are exposed to if they're adult themes. Also, school is not the place for this. What happened? What happened to schools being like just a a safe place for learning subjects? why on earth is it any stranger's um, responsibility to talk to your child about pornography? I find it grotesque. I find it grooming. And there is a kind of grooming of our children going on by strangers that's been sanitized and sanctioned under the umbrella of charity. You know, it's got charitable status. Um, You know, we've got charities, you've got Stonewall and mermaids, you've got Charities like Arise. You've got things that uh, organisations coming into schools. You know, in some schools now they have separate classes after school and at weekends only for black children. They, they're re-racialising schools into sort of segregation with the critical race theory as well. These these ideologies that are just theories and concepts. They're not facts. Should never be anywhere near a primary school anyway, and should only be taught in secondary schools with the consent of parents, I think, uh, and challenged as well. So I do think schools are, are no longer safe for childhood, as long as this continues. And the whole purpose of a school has been completely blurred into political indoctrination, into championing um, ideologies uncontested. It's, and, and all the Conservatives have done is sort of say, oh, well, we're concerned and we'll write a report. But there's no enforcement. There's no consequence ofsted should prioritize impartiality with teachers that's another thing i would do nick <laughs> you know like the hippocratic oath doctors have to take you know to take care mm. of the patients teachers should take one uh, an oath of impartiality and not make our classrooms like political hubbubs for the labor party
0: to be honest the teachers could take the same one at this point do no harm yes. that would be good that's the hippocratic <laughs> exactly. that would be a good start yeah that's what i'd like yeah. I mean, where can you go? I mean, there's some Christian schools, but they still have some woke stuff. I don't know where, I'd, if I had kids, I don't know where I'd send them. Have you? And, and on the porn stuff, their argument presumably would be, well, we're alerting kids to stuff they'll encounter anyway. But I don't think that argument works because you look at the culture, it hasn't become less degenerate by talking about this stuff. It's only become far more degenerate. So I don't think any of it's worked. Like you, I say, take it out of schools. Is there anything... That you'd be comfortable revealing that that your kids have said? well, Have they come home and said something mad, and you've gone, "Where's that come from? What does it?" Not oh, yeah, several
1: school? things. I've, I've the amount of unraveling parents have to do at the moment when their children come home from school. So I've had the kids come home going, "You old people are to blame for everything. The climate change, it's all your fault." Um, they've come home talking about how, you know, Brexit is the worst thing that's ever happened to the country. They've, they've learnt that in school. Um, and also, especially on gender ideology, um, pamphlets were handed out to one of my daughters. Uh, and it was an all girls school and the pamphlets were describing what a turf is and how if you believe in single sex spaces, you're a bigot. Um, so these things are getting through to children by teachers who are political activists. It's not all teachers. And actually, a lot of teachers hate this, but they don't feel they're in a, in a safe space to to complain about it because you know there is this kind of climate of fear now if you reject any of the ideologies that are you know being imposed on our children you're suddenly a Nazi you're a bigot so it's hard for teachers to come out too um, but there are reports about many secondary schools overstepping the mark and becoming sort of politicized uh, hubbubs that are teaching ideologies the parents don't consent to. And I've seen it with my children. I've had to, Critical race theory was taught to my daughter and I had to email the school saying my daughter's phoned up crying, saying that she's been taught white people, are, you know, are born racist because of the colour of their skin. They can't help but be racist. And she lost her black friends who no longer come round and hang out because they don't like her now because she's white. This has all came from a class at school. And uh, that's no good for the future of cohesion and national solidarity in this country. So.
0: Disgusting. It's a weird thing when a syllabus is encouraging bullying. And yeah, it, it's always attempt to break the people from their families and turn them against their parents. And the state wants to take over your children. It makes me so mad. And I even have kids and I'm furious. <laughs> I'm furious for my nephews and niece. I'm worried about yeah. them, but there's nothing I can do. And it makes me mad. But because um, you've got to go just very quickly, I often ask this question. How do we win this culture war thing?
1: So I do think it will have to come from the bottom up. I think the top up are, have lost it. They, they have as like they had Brexit derangement syndrome, they have woke derangement syndrome. And it's almost like we've lo- we've lost them. We do have some really good outspoken MPs. Lee Anderson in the Conservative Party is always really outspoken on the culture wars. We need more of that. But essentially, I think it has to come. You know, parents, unfortunately, have to do the heavy lifting here and unravel the damage that's been done in schools to their children um, on these woke issues and depoliticise the public sector, which is what I want to do, you know, as a member of Reform UK, make sure the public sector goes back to just service and being paid for a service, not lectures, not dividing people up and not double standards depending on what race or sex you are. You know, we need to depoliticise the public sector. And maybe the Tories will do it. I doubt it. They haven't done it yet. They've overseen it increase. But I hope with Reform UK that's a, that will be a home for people who want to depoliticise all the public sector and, and, and safeguard childhood as well.
0: All right. Well, great. Well, that was really good. And I like your optimism. <laughs> good to have a bit of optimism on this podcast. And where can people find you, Belinda?
1: I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter, Belinda De Lucy, and uh, Instagram, um, Belinda Delucy. There we go. <laughs> okay, thing. done.
0: All Thank right. You. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you
1: so much, Nick. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: All right. That was Belinda. Great episode, I thought. And she's so nice, isn't she? Sometimes I think people on our side of politics, the normal people side, you know, they can be kind of questionable. Some of the behaviors and actions and I go "Mm, it's not really helping us. But how can anyone not like Belinda? A Bit like me really, I'm so sweet, how can you not like me? So if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We've done up the YouTube as well, we've got new thumbnail pics, we've hired a designer, we're making a big effort guys. If you haven't found the YouTube yet, type in Nick Dixon, current thing or whatever, you'll find it, it's there. If you're on the audio, please leave a five-star review takes a few seconds or write review if you're so inclined and subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend because we're trying to build this thing together okay see you next week